I want to uh, ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 15 this morning, and I want to talk to you about <clears throat> two things. I, I have wrestled with um, the message title. I want to I want to talk to you about the most valuable player, MVP, in the Super Bowl of life, and I want to talk to you about a journey of sacrifice. So I'm going to blend these together and try to <clears throat> let us understand the value of what we have in living for the Lord. <clears throat> How do you like the t-shirts? They're pretty neat, aren't they? They got a logo on the back in case you hadn't seen one. And, and uh, thank you, gentlemen, for helping me get that one on. I think that was, that was half the fun. Matthew 15, we're going to a place where Christ is just going to do some things that just mesmerize a, a crowd of people. Let's, let's read this journey and uh, <clears throat> look at this particular scene that the Lord Christ <clears throat> gives us. Verse 29 of uh, Matthew 15. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up in the mountains and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Look at that little line, and he healed them. Verse 31, so the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speak, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. <clears throat> I want you to notice they marveled. And they glorified the God of Israel. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have had nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they fade on the way. I want to just stop and say what a glorious God we have. Spiritually, physically, he is meeting every need of his creature. Aren't you glad God's concerned about our physical bodies? He heals us spiritually. He heals us physically. And here he knows that we have need of everyday necessities of life. And he feeds this group of people. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few fish. So he commanded the multiply he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broken and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Don't miss the math. Seven loaves and seven basket fields left over. I wonder sometime if we would, should need to concentrate on what we're going to do with the blessing leftovers than the blessing itself. I've often said, I wonder what the little lad did when he fed 5,000 and they had the 12 baskets and I think they probably took them. I think Christ told the disciples, follow him home and the little five tuna fish sandwiches that mom gave him became 12 basketfuls of sustenance for a long time. I wonder sometime if the Christians should worry more about, instead about the blessings, what are we going to do with the leftover blessings? 
<laughs> I serve a bountiful God, don't you? Well, so they were all filled. Seven large baskets left over, 38. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And they sent away the multitude, got into the boat, came into the region of Magdala. What a, what a great story in our word of our Father and our Savior. This evening, I don't know what time the game starts. I have no idea. Uh, when is it? 5.30. At 5.30 this evening, two teams will align on two sides of a football. Multiplied hundreds of thousands and millions of people across the world will watch this game. The accomplished players will compete vigorously for the prize. They will run into each other. They will bruise each other. They will tackle one another. It is a, I love to play when I played in high school. I love to play football. But tonight, they're playing for the prize, the money, the bragging rights, the title, the trophy, the thrill, the ring. How many of you know they all want the Super Bowl ring? There will be in this game an MVP, a most valuable player. But I want to tell you something. Behind all the hype and all the ceremony and all the fanfare and all the celebration that happens, which all has its place, we're human beings and we, we like to have fun and I think we should enjoy it. I just want to tell you, behind all that, I want to give you a question. Do you know how those players arrived at that field? I'm not talking about their bus or their automobiles. Do you know how they attained the privilege to play tonight in the Super Bowl? What is it that set them apart from all other teams? The answer to that, and don't miss it, is a word called discipline. Maybe better defined for our purposes this morning, but especially for life, it, it, the, the thing that has them on the field tonight is a thing called sacrifice. Sacrifice. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of exercise that you don't see while they're on the gridiron. Hundreds and hundreds of strenuous practices where they've been beaten and bruised and injured and they got well and went back and this goes on and on. Hundreds of thousands of hours of honing their skills and learning the plays and all the background that goes in sacrifice. Discipline. So I just want to tell you, as you view tonight's game, don't forget the sacrifice behind the first down, behind the field goal, behind the touchdown, in the background of the pass and the tackle. And I will tell you, they all got there tonight because they have been traveling on a journey of sacrifice. <clears throat> One author I read said this. It is impossible to succeed without sacrifice. Young people, I want to tell you something. Mom and dad never have been. As godly parents, they never will be your enemy. But they must teach you sacrifice and discipline. Without it, you will be unable to handle what's coming to you in this world. 
It is not the parents who pet their children all the time and keep them raised on a cotton ball. All parents, when it's a bassinet and a baby bed, we want to protect them and all that. But eventually you do your child a disgrace if you do not let them take some bruises and know what it's about to be hurt and wounded because this is a hurting, bruising world. And we must teach them spiritually, mentally, emotionally about how to handle this world. The guy says, impossible to succeed without sacrifice. He goes on to say, if you are successful and have not suffered, someone has sacrificed for you. Somebody's handed it to you. And if you are suffering, if you are suffering without succeeding, perhaps someone may succeed after you, but there is no success without sacrifice. I want you to follow me. An old man walks down a Florida beach. The sun is like a gigantic, huge orange bowl, ball, excuse me, on the horizon. The waves slap the sand. The beach is vacant. The smell of salt water stings the air. With the sun sinking low, there's not enough light for fishermen. Not enough light for the sunbathers. Everyone else has gone home. All alone, this man, on Friday evenings, carries a bucket. In it, it's filled with shrimp. The shrimp are not for the fish. They are not for him. The shrimp is for the gulls. He walks to the end of the pier... His weekly ritual begins and he waits. Within minutes, the sky is a mass of gulls and they are here on Friday evenings to meet this man. For approximately 30 minutes, he will feed those gulls. And the old gentleman, after the shrimp are gone, the gulls will linger. They will perch along the pier, covering it. Some will even land on his hat. There will be numbers and masses of them. And the old man and the gulls share some moments together. You got that picture? Set it aside a moment. Take you somewhere else. Near the Sea of Galilee, Jesus miraculously feeds 4,000 men plus women plus children. Imagine 4,000 people. It's a desert area up by the mountains. I want to declare to you, this is not the day that Christ fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. Two totally different days. Although the two events have much in common, they have a lot that is different. Let me compare them right quickly for you in just a moment. When Jesus fed 5,000, he was with Jewish people. When he fed the 4,000, he was in Decapolis and it was a Gentile region, Gentile people. When he fed the 5,000, he was with them one afternoon. When he fed the 4,000, he was with them for four days and nights. When he fed the 5,000, he taught them, he ministered to them and healed them. When he fed the 4,000, no record of any kind about his teaching, preaching, Only that he healed. And for three days, 
He healed them. The blind, the lame, the mute, the handicapped, the diseased. By hundreds and by thousands they came. And he healed them. And he healed them. And he healed them. Sometimes the gospel writers were sparing with their words. Sometimes they left out descriptive details. One of those times, I believe, is here at this occasion. All Matthew said was, he healed them. We read it. Mark describes it, and he describes a particular healing, and he said he healed them. But I want to ask you, can you imagine that scene? So let me borrow your mind and draw you a picture. Here are 4,000 men, plus Christ and his disciples, with women and with children. Perhaps there was 8,000, maybe even 10,000. Depending on the number of children, there could have been 12,000 people. And Christ is healing them. Healing them. Imagine this scene with me. Thousands, 10, 12,000 people. There must be a line. There must be waiting. I think I see a blind husband, a father, who for the first time Christ says see, and his eyes are open, and he sees his wife, and he sees his children. And tears come gushing out of eyes that just a moment ago had been blinded all of his life. Believe you me, that changed that man. It changed that family. I see a deaf lady, perhaps, who for the first time sees her children and for the first time hears them say, Mama or Mom. Believe you me, that changed her life. For the first time, she hears sounds of nature like the singing song of a bird and the wind the sound of the nature about her. For the first time, she sees people praising and worshiping, but for the first time, she can now hear them, and she hears the name that has just set her free. His name is Jesus. That changed that woman. I see a man who has never been able to walk. He was crippled from his birth. And I see a man who had been carried by his older children most of his life. But otherwise he was immobile. And Christ says to him, get up and walk. And I see him jump to his feet. I see him begin to walk and run. And then I think he runs to his children and he hugs them. And, and I think if he has a young baby. I think he picks that baby up or his young daughter or his young son picks them up as they have picked him up because it's changed his life and now their life will be different. I see a young person who could never speak, who knew the ridicule of friends all of his or her life. I see them longing to be like others because peer pressure is nothing new. They want to be like everyone else and now all of a sudden Jesus touched their lips and this young man or this young woman can speak and now they no longer have to suffer under the ridicule of their peers. For three days it went on. Person after person after person after person after person. 
in my imagination, I see a leper. He has to come from far away outside the camp. For a leper's disease is very infectious and he was required to stay in the garbage dump of the city or if he were to ever travel in the commonness of the city, he must wear filthy robes because he's in the garbage dump and he's required with when he gets within so many yards of anybody, he must declare by law, unclean, unclean, so that he cannot mix with them and they cannot mix with him and have the disease spread. What a horrendous mode to have to live. You think about it, young people, mom and dad. Think about nasty robes that you wear every day in the garbage heap because you can't stir among society. All the sores on your body like Job did in the Old Testament, taking a broken piece of potsherd and scrubbing all the fluid out of those wounds because it gives them less pain. And here's a leper. He must cry, unclean, unclean, and the crowd has to spread out. They don't want to be diseased. And I see this leper. Suddenly when he walks to the Lord and Jesus touches him, overcome with emotion, and suddenly he looks and there's no more pain in his body. There's no more oozing on the sores. The sores have cleared up. Everything has left his body that's diseased. And Jesus says, I declare you I declare you clean. I want to ask you something. If you were that leper, do you think you would think about praising God? Do you think that you would think about, well, let me not get fanatical here? No record of Jesus' teaching. No record of His preaching. No instruction. No devotion. No nothing challenged. He just healed and healed and healed. No wonder John, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wrote in chapter 21, if all the works that Jesus did was recorded, the whole world could not contain its writings. Because you see, it looks simple to say be made whole, but look how it affects that person and that family and that whole society and that city. And that's exactly what made the Christ such a powerhouse because he was God on this planet. And the scripture said the people marveled. It said they wondered, they marveled. Matthew said in the bottom of the verse that it said they glorified the God of Israel. And here I believe is another time where the, 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 the gospel writers took very few words. That, that's all Matthew said. That's all Mark said. They glorified the God of Israel. I want to ask how. I, I see how it affected their life in, in my imagination. But I don't think I'm too far off. I want to continue. How did they glorify God? I don't think they worried about their pride. I don't think they worried about their reputation very much. I don't think they stopped and said, let me think about this. I do not think they cared if there was much form. It may have its place. 
I don't think they thought about creed, though it's important. I don't think they thought about following a ritual, though it has its place. I believe every one of them, in their own way, worshipped and praised the Christ. I think some cried. I think some shouted. I think they had all kind of different responses to the Christ. I believe some came and fell at Jesus' feet. I believe some shouted, thank you, thank you, thank you, maybe for hours, I don't know. I think some danced with joy. I think some of them laughed a laughter that of happiness and joy they've never known in their whole life. I think they went witnessing, look what he's done for me. I think the whole crowd was stirred. And perhaps young parents stand speechless. As they hold their newborn baby and he, he was born crippled. And this young couple suddenly see their baby totally made whole. I want to tell you something. That will change your life. They watch as this leper. I just see him staring at his new skin. <laughs> you can't imagine what's going on in that guy's heart. Staring at his new skin. And suddenly he realizes he's been declared clean and he can take off those nasty, stinky, filthy, diseased robes, put them in the dust. That, that disease that has marked him with sores all of his life and the, the robe that is filthy, they no longer will mark his life ever. He's a new creature. I think... He kneels before the Father. Some of them, I think, knelt and raised their hands. But all Matthew said was they glorified God. However they did it, by whatever means they did it, we read the scripture, it moved Jesus. It moved him deeply. And then knowing that they had not eaten for three days, he insisted that they stay for a meal before they returned to the city. He said, Matthew said they glorified God. He didn't use the word worship. But I want to tell you right quickly, this scene defines worship. Here's worship. Here's worship. When you become aware that what you have been given is far greater than that which you can give, you will worship. When you become aware that someone has done something for you that no one else has any power whatever to do, you will worship. Worship is an awareness that without His touch, if it were not for His touch, you'd still be crippled and hurting and bitter and broken and sour and under the power of a demonic Satan that wants to destroy your life. But when you realize you've been delivered, you want to worship. Amen. Worship is a well of joy inside of you that springs up because you know the weight of sin is gone. And the question of eternity is settled. 
I want to tell you something. My name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. And no devil, no demon can break into the office of the heavenly headquarters at night and erase my name out of that book. It's impossible. (laughs) You think we shouldn't worship? You think we shouldn't lift our hands and praise the Lord? Well, I got three amens there. Worship. It's pouring out of your spirit in thanks, in gratitude, because you've been healed by the healer. You've been touched by the master. You've been delivered by the deliverer. And you've been saved by the Savior. And there's only one. And your entire being expresses its thanks. The old gentleman on the pier couldn't go a week without saying thank you. Every Friday night, Eddie Rickenbacker would go to the pier because in October 1942, he was reported missing at sea. He had been sent on a mission to deliver a message to General Douglas MacArthur. Some of you know the history of his plane. Some of you may recognize his name. With a hand-picked crew in a B-17 known as the Flying Fortress, he set off across the South Pacific. They ran out of fuel. They became lost. The plane went down in the ocean. All eight crew members escaped into the life raft which was miraculous within itself. These eight men in that raft battled the weather. They battled for water, and they battled the ocean water. They battled the sharks. They battled the sun. Eight crew members battling all the elements, but most of all, they battled hunger. After eight days, their rations were gone. Their options were no longer available. It would take a miracle for these eight men to survive. But a miracle occurred. Following a devotion by one of the men, the men prayed and tried to rest. Rickenbacker was dozing with his hat pulled back over his head as he leaned over the raft. Within a few minutes, something landed on his head. It was a seagull. That meant food. If he could catch it. He did. 
The flesh was eaten. The intestines were used for fish bait. And the crew survived. But here's what's amazing. What was a gull, a single gull, doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from land? And how? Only God knows that answer. But Rickenbacker and seven friends were thankful. As a result, every Friday evening, from the time he was refrad, that means re- released from active duty, ever since he was released, this old captain walked to the pier every Friday night with his bucket full of shrimp and a heart full of thanks that a seagull had made a journey of sacrifice. Let me give you mine and your testimony. Life started out good. We didn't have to buy any groceries. We didn't even have to feed ourselves. Everybody took care of every need we had. And then life got a little rougher. We had to learn to feed ourselves. We had to learn to change our own clothes. We had to learn a lot of things. Then we learned that there's a lot of fun with people, but there can be pain with people. We get a little older and we realize that storms come in our lives and we realize that our lives for years can be like we're on a wild sea. And we can make bad mistakes, teenagers, and let me tell you, every decision you make has ramifications. Say amen, parents. Every decision you make has ramifications. Every decision you make does not only involve you, it involves everybody around you. Every decision. If you decide that you're going to make a C instead of an A, it's going to have ramifications. Isn't it, parents? <laughs> Life can get tough. And about the time you turn in your early teens and you think, okay, I'm, I'm being a grown-up. Life can get really tough. Sometimes somewhere between 12 and 25 can be the roughest years of your life if you don't make good decisions. Say amen, parents. You have to learn to make good decisions. I want to declare to you, teenagers, look at me. Your godly mom and dad are anything but your enemy. They will try, they will try, they know what they've been through. They will do everything they can to keep you from going through the same pain if you'll listen. Say amen, parents. You get a chance like that, you need to take it. It's true. It's true. But as you get older, life can get more difficult and it can get a lot more complicated. Amen? And you can get up 60, 70 years of age. And without God, I just want to tell you something, your life can amount to nothing. But here's our testimony. We got in a storm. We were on life's sea. And we realized we couldn't help ourselves.
We were lost for answers. And our souls were perishing with hunger because we were spiritually hungry for God. And the Savior, from heaven's beautiful portals, took a journey of sacrifice and came to you and came to me. And here's what he said. Take this bread. Eat it. It's my body. Take this cup. Drink it. It's my blood. And he saved our lives. He saved our lives. And from those waters, the songwriter says, he lifted us. I want to say it personally. And from those waters, he lifted me. Now save me. Because someone took a journey of sacrifice and saved me. When I was five years old, I was smitten with sin. I had told some things that weren't true. I took the audacity of sinning one day, Sunday after Sunday school, and I stole a piece of chalk and took it to my house. That may not sound like much, but I want to tell you something. The next Sunday when I was in church, I felt convicted about that. And the pastor preached... And I don't know, I I don't remember what he preached. I just remember the Spirit of God came over me and I was five years old and I got up and went to an old wooden altar. And from all those things that I knew was eating at my inside, God cleansed me and washed me from it and He ordained my steps every day since that day. He took a journey of sacrifice he became in the game of life my most valuable player how many of you know the great MVP so every day every evening need to remember this truth life always has it always real will require sacrifice you've heard me say before the price of freedom is never paid in full because there's an enemy that's always trying to steal our freedom and our liberty But I want to tell you, God sacrificed. And when you come under His name, and when you're fed by Him, and when you're washed by Him, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. All things are new. So guess what we get to do? Just like Ed Rickenbacker, we get to come to the house of God every Sunday. And we get to raise our hands. And we get to give our voice a praise. Some of us were leprous. Some of us were blind. Some of us were naked. Some of us were crippled. I don't even know what I mean. But He came and He healed them. And He healed them. And He healed them. And we ought to come to this house and lift our hands and lift our voice and say, Thank you, God, because you took a journey of sacrifice for me.